First Corinthians chapter 14, quite a long chapter. We'll try and get through it in good time, though. Um, right, from verse number one. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. Um, so, obviously, as we saw last week, the charity is something that we follow after, yeah? So, something that we need to follow after for our whole Christian lives. Um, but there's also nothing wrong with desiring spiritual gifts, is there? Nothing wrong with desiring spiritual gifts. But if we're going to desire spiritual gifts, then we should desire the gift of prophecy or preaching, yeah, as it would be today and, and, and is most of the time in the Bible. Um, now, obviously, we all have different, ro- different roles. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 to 19, where we were a couple of weeks ago, says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? So the, d- the Spirit divides severally, to every man severally as he will, yeah? So, so everyone has different, different abilities, different gifts. Um, some, and, and it's not just one each. Uh, people have different ones, yeah? Sometimes there might be one that's stronger than something else. But no one is obviously better or more important than anyone else, yeah? So that's not what he's saying here. It's not that, you know, the person that's got the ability to preach is better than anyone else. Um, but if there's one to desire, if there's one to desire, it should be to preach. Why is that? Well, verse 2, he says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. So speaking in an unknown language could look pretty impressive, couldn't it? Look pretty impressive. We could all probably like to do that, like to show people our skills and, you know, that we know this language that no one else does. But if no one understands it, obviously only God understands it, it, what's it benefiting anyone? Um, obviously he's not talking about special prayer language here, is he? So this isn't this special prayer language. He's just talking about a language that other people don't understand. Tongues, we looked at, um, obviously, the, I think it was last week, that tongues being another language. Now, a mystery here. So he says speaking mysteries, just something not understood. It's not these great mysteries. He's talking in, a sp- in this special, spare lang- uh, uh, special prayer language. He's just talking about something that, that people don't understand. It's in a language that they don't understand. Now, he's using tongues languages here, isn't he, as an example, as we see in, in these verses. And it's something that's desired, but not for the right reasons, okay? Because that must have been pretty impressive at Pentecost, and, and that, that, especially that, that miraculous gift of just being able to speak a language without learning it is an impressive thing, isn't it? But his point, verse 3, is that, But he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. So the whole point of the prophesying, the preaching, is for others, isn't it? And this is straight after chapter 13 on charity and the charity of giving to others and for everything we do to be for others, to be thinking of others, to be giving to others. And the point is that if we're going to desire gifts, it's not saying, oh, you're you're nothing if you don't have this gift. He's saying if you're actually going to desire something, then the gift to desire is the one that is going to positively affect the most people. If we're in the right frame of mind. It's not saying anyone's lesser if they don't have the gift of preaching, but it's saying that that should be the one you desire because that affects the most people at once. Um, Because there are some great gifts, aren't there? Ones that still apply from 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. We've got the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, discerning of spirits, teaching, helps or ministering, governments or ruling, exhorting, giving, mercy, languages, and and that's likely not exhaustive, like we said. There are many, many gifts that we all have, um, and and there are some great gifts that people have that can benefit the church. But for the church, that's the point, isn't it? It's for the church, and preaching the word of God effectively to a church is going to benefit the most people at once, isn't it? And, and, and that's the point, isn't it, is that it's to benefit people. That's what preaching's about, it's to benefit people. And, and like I said, solely because it affects the most people at once, doesn't it? Imagine some of these churches, maybe, you know, some of these early churches, or, or, or just think about churches we know that are busy, you know, running 300 plus people. I mean, that's a, a lot of people that are being affected by that one person preaching, isn't it? Preaching the word of God. Um, and that's the point, isn't it? It's to benefit people. Because if, if, if the purpose of preaching, if it's to be the main man, and I'm sure there 
are and will carry on being people that want to preach because they want to be the man up the top, don't they? The man at the front, the man at the pulpit, the one that everyone looks at. They want that position. Or maybe it's, it's because nowadays it's to be that man on YouTube. I want to be that one. I want to be that one that everyone's looking at, that everyone's, you know, talking about. And, and one day I'm going to be this top famous guy on YouTube. Maybe it's seeking fame because that's quite popular nowadays, isn't it? Maybe because they think that by becoming a preacher, they'll then eventually be a pastor. And that's a good job. Maybe it's a fun job, they think, or, you know, something along those lines. It's going to be enjoyable. Maybe, you know, they don't quite fancy their job anymore. Maybe it's to get the slaps on the back. You know, the acclaim. Thinking that people are going to be coming up, going, great preaching. And you're going to feel like you're, you know, a million dollars or whatever else. But... If, that's, if that is the motivation, if the, and, and again, that could be people here that maybe think one day they want to preach, and if that is the motivation for that, then firstly, you're going to make a lousy profit, aren't you? Because, you? because the whole point is to edify the church. So if it's all about yourself, then you're not going to edify anyone really, uh, nowhere near like you should. The Word of God, sure, is going to do something, but, but it's nothing like if you're really, your goal is to preach and help the church. You'll make a lousy profit. You'll also lightly quit because if your motivation is to get slaps on the back, it ain't happening. <laughs> you, know, you don't get many slaps on the back, you know? The thing is, it is a thankless task most of the time because the truth is, it's not that everyone's like, hey, man, great. You can spend hours writing a sermon, studying. You know, you don't even know half, you know, you're like new to it. You're trying to, and the truth is, you won't get a load of people coming up going, this is benefiting my life. And maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. But the truth is, you know, people just get on with it. Maybe, maybe you, you know, maybe you do if you're the best preacher. Maybe you will. But from what I hear from the good preachers, they say the same. They're like, they could spend literally weeks writing a sermon. It's one that's been in the pipeline. And they're thinking, this is going to really make a difference in my church. And it's like, preaching. And it's like, yeah, anyway. Everyone gets on with it. And you're just, whoa. <laughs> and that's how they feel. And, that, and that's the truth. And, and if that's what, what you're doing it for, then, then you know, you'll be disappointed. you probably quit. If it's to be the main man, you know, you'll soon realise, really, you're just serving other people. Because that's what you're really doing. You're spending your weeks, you know, try, trying to basically uplift and serve other people. And even if you're not trying to do that, that's what you're doing, really. So you, you ain't no main man up there. If it's to be on YouTube, well, you know, truthfully, our kinds of churches, you ain't getting millions of hits. <laughs> if you are, you're probably a false prophet. So, so the truth is... You ain't going to get nothing out of that either. So it's got to be that, hasn't it? And, and you know, and that's something we, we desire after, though. We follow after. So I'm not saying, oh, I'm this great charitable, charitable person. I'm not saying every preacher out there is. What I'm saying is it's something that should be the motivation, something we should seek after and follow after. Um, okay, but the goal here. So what is the goal of preaching? The goal, verse 3, 1 was edification, wasn't it? So that he that prophesies speaks unto men to edification, which is the act or practice of exhorting, of incite, uh, sorry, sorry, edification, of building up in a moral and religious sense, instruction, improvement and progress of the mind in knowledge, in morals or in faith and holiness. So that's what you're trying to do when you're preaching to people. And, and again, like I said, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of the times you're preaching and you're trying to build people up and sometimes that can, that can be taken personally, can't it? can be taken personally and it's not it's only because you're seeing it in the word of God and sometimes the egos can come up who are you to tell me how to live who you know or or you know what how, how can you be telling me or, or whatever it is that starts going through people's minds but the truth is you're just preaching the word of God to them but it can affect people can't it negatively sadly but it should be the point the goal is to build up in a more of a religious sense instruction improvement and progress of the mind in knowledge in morals or in faith and holiness that's the goal that's why we're preaching the word of god that's why anyone who gets behind a pulpit 10 minutes at a men's preaching night that's the same thing you're preaching for that reason for exhortation the act or practice of exhorting the act of inciting to laudable deeds incitement to that which is good or commendable so it's not just you encouraging people. Some people listen to the word exhorting and they think you're just there meant to be just telling things, people, you know, how great they are and encouraging them in that way. No, it's you're trying to encourage them into good deeds, encourage them to do good things. And that might be by giving them a, a spiritual kick in, in the backside. That might be by that. It might be by, by shouting, at, you know, shouting some truths from the pulpit, but it also might be gently. And there are many ways of doing that. That's the exhortation. Um, 
and the comfort. Okay, he said here as well, and comfort. That's relief from distress of mind, the ease and quiet which is experienced when pain, trouble, agitation, or affliction ceases. Implies also some degree of positive animation of the spirits or some pleasurable sensations derived from hope and agreeable prospects, consolation. It's not all just whipping people from the pulpit, is it? So there is some comfort that should come from the word of God, that should come from preaching. Comfort from in your lives, from knowing that, that you've got God with you, from knowing that you're going to be helped through persecution, tribulation. Knowing, you know, reminding you of the promises of God. Reminding you of those blessings. Reminding you that you make a difference in people's lives when you're going out so many, all those things, isn't it? That's the comfort that should come as well. I mean, famous, famous verse, you don't have to go to 2 Timothy 4.2, says, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And that should be the goal. Anyone that wants to preach, anyone that wants to preach, it should be for those reasons, it should be for other people. It should be to reprove, rebuke, exhort for their own good, shouldn't it? And that's what, what, what I myself here is preaching regularly should be doing. That's anyone who gets behind the pulpit should be doing. And that's anyone who, in the whole world who, who's preaching the word of God. That should be their goal, shouldn't it? And that's why prophecy then, therefore becomes that's that that's the one to desire after because when you do all of that it should affect the most people at once yeah verse 4 says he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself but he that prophesieth edifieth the church so edifieth in the building up sense of the word isn't it and that's the whole church so the whole church should be edified by prophesying that's the goal with it um verse 5 says i would that ye all spake with tongues but rather that ye prophesied for greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. So there's a point of it, isn't it? It's because of the edifying. So, so Paul wants them all to speak with, with languages. He's not saying he doesn't. He's not saying it's a bad thing, but it's putting it in the right order. Nothing wrong with speaking with languages. Great. But not because that's what you put at the top because that's going to make you look good. It's because it's, if it's for edifying people. Because he's saying here that greater is he that prophesies than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. So you're preaching and it's being interpreted and it's edifying the church, you're basically preaching from another language, and that's good. And um, that's the translation, isn't it? So verse 6 says, Now, brethren, if I come unto you speak with tongues, what shall I profit you, except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? So again, it's not just to, you know, well, have a chit-chat or show people how great your language skills are. There has to be a point to it, hasn't there? Now, obviously, the, 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 the main point at Pentecost in Acts 2 was, was for people to get saved, wasn't it? It was for people to get saved. And, he, and then, obviously, if you're speaking in a language or there's someone in a different language or you're speaking, you know, to someone new in a church, yeah, sure, we want to welcome them in. And, and, but on top of that, we want to also be trying to teach them. So revelation, that's revealing things of God. It's not always the future, not just a book of revelation. It's just revelations of God's word. Knowledge, we know what knowledge is, prophesying. So that's foretelling and, and preaching, okay? Um, doctrine, that's a teaching of principles and truths, yeah? Um, and th like we said, there could be a tendency, couldn't there, to want to show off your language skills. It, uh, but it's not just with language, it's the same with other gifts, isn't it? Like we said before, you might have the gift, gift of knowledge. You might be able to just recall information. And, but how, what's the point in that if you're not actually using that to someone's benefit? Yeah? Um, and, and it's not just, I would say, not just even with the spiritual gifts. You've been gifted in something. You know, use it to the benefit of others. Use it to the benefit of the church, especially. And we're going to see, see why in a second with that. Verse 7 says, And even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? So basically, sound for the sake of it is pointless, isn't it? So you're not just going to just play any old nonsense. There's a point to it. When you play an instrument, it's something specific. You're playing a specific song. Verse 8, for if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Okay, so when the trumpet is blown for, for battle, it's a specific sound, isn't it, that the army respond to? Okay, if they just kind of did a bizarre sound, no one will know what, what they're meant to be doing. Verse 9. So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken, for ye shall speak into the air? Now you could also apply this to preaching, couldn't you? You could apply this to preaching. There are preachers out there that purposefully use long words that most people shouldn't understand and don't understand, aren't they? And they do it not on purpose. And not just when they're writing it, going, oh, I'll just use this really long theological word that no one knows. 
They're doing that on purpose, but they're speaking into the air. For ye shall speak into the air. If you're uttering by the tongue words, you know, um, that aren't easy to be understood, then you just speak into the air. Uh, and we see that, obviously, across, across churches like the Catholic Church, we're just preaching in, or speaking in Latin. What's the point in that? Most of the people don't understand it. Um, long theological words, you see that a lot. And when you get those churches like that, so when it's things which can't be understood, they're not preaching simply, because there, there can be a temptation, can't there? As a preacher, you know, people, especially with the kind of pressure the, that will come, especially as you're, if you're involved in sort of the community of false Christian churches and stuff, there's this encouragement that somehow us sort of simple, simple Baptists type preach that somehow unlearned men and you know what do we really know about theology and, and you'll see debates a lot where they start coming out with the longest terms and the most ridiculous theories and everything and they, they're just puffing themselves up and trying to basically disqualify you based on some sort of theological knowledge which but they don't even get John 3.16 do they? They don't even get Ephesians 2.8 and 9 but, but then there could be a tendency of a preacher to try and make him sound more intelligent can't they? to try and then lift themselves up a bit more, to try and qualify themselves more in the eyes of those people. But like we saw earlier, they're not going to get saved by that, are they? In fact, you know, the preachers most of the time are reprobates. But, but the, even the people that you're trying to appeal to there, really, they're going to get saved by the Word of God, aren't they? And, it, and it, you know, there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with some deeper points. But, but most of the time, to, to edify a whole church... There's nothing wrong with the basic points, the basic principles, the basic doctrines, basic truths from the Bible. We don't all have to, you know, hear the most in-depth doctrine to get edified each week because, sadly, a lot of people then won't get edified, will they? Um, okay, it says here, um, it said here, sorry, so how shall it be known what is spoken for you shall speak into the air? And, and if you think about that, it's basically with these theological type, you know, preachers where they're just trying to get too complicated what happens their churches then don't prepare themselves to the battle do they because when you look at the churches they don't really understand what really is going on what's being preached and none of them are going out and doing anything anyway um, verse 10 says there are it may be so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them is without signification Basically, there are many languages in the world and they all result in some specific communication. Yeah. Verse 11 says, Therefore I know not the meaning of the voice. I Sorry, therefore if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. And a barbarian is someone that doesn't speak Greek. Okay? That's someone who speaks one of the languages that that's, doesn't speak and understand Greek. Um, so he's basically saying, if you don't understand what's being said, you might as well just be, f be from an unknown language. So it's just a waste of time. Now look at verse 12 here. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. So our spiritual gifts and our excelling or, or achieving of, of great things in our spiritual life should be for the building up improvement of the church, yeah? You see that there, doesn't it? It's seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. And there you have yet another verse in the book of Corinthians which highlights the necessity of the church and highlights the importance of the church and highlights as we as Christians, the whole thing is a is about the church isn't it or it all comes from the church yeah we all have separate lives we have to lead but it's all about the church and going out from the church doing the work of God from the church isn't it and it it this this whole book itself and especially from chapter 12 just debunks all of this sort of I don't have to go to church to be a good Christian stuff doesn't it just debunks it it, it, you know, it's all about the church. It's all about using your gifts for the church. It's all about coming to the church, edifying the church, doing things for each other, loving your brother at the church, etc., etc. We've been reading that for the last however many weeks, and then you still get these Christians, saved Christians, out there going, "Well, I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't have to go to church. Well, you know, I, I'm still a good Christian, or whatever. Oh, it's my personal walk with God." No, it's my personal walk with with Christ, or something. You know, these kind of the, these nice little bud, buzz things, but. No, it's all about the church. Your excelling should be about benefiting the church. And then, so then, you know, it gets hot. This has been hard, isn't it? And it's funny, I was saying this last night. We were just chatting about it. I was saying, this, like, how much this truth has kind of really sunk into me is only in the last, whatever, how many weeks we've been going through, through Corinthians and this church has been going. 
Because I think had it been before that, it would have been really difficult for me. I don't know about anyone else, if it's really dawned on them. I hopefully, like me, I, I, may, I don't know, as long as I'm preaching this right, and it's coming across how I'm seeing it, then I'm, I'm assuming everyone else has been sitting through this, is sitting here, dawning on them the importance and, and the magnitude of the local New Testament church. And because before that, if I'd really understood this, that would have been a hard old old task to be wouldn't it because every single church that anyone here has been to in this country has basically been put up with haven't they if you're able to stay at that church and they haven't been preaching against you every single week and really desiring you to leave for daring to even challenge them on their on basically what is their wicked walk because it is because most of them are doing absolutely nothing for God at all that that if they're putting up with you there how on earth can you can you apply all this how do you do it? At a church that doesn't even want you there, they don't want to give you any roles in the church. They don't, want you, they don't even want you talking to the other church members. I was at a church where every time the church ended, the pastor would just beeline me to make sure that I didn't talk to anyone else in the church in case I might have mentioned soul winning or, or anything else. You know? and it's just like, what, what, you know, how, how can you be a blessing to that church? It wasn't because I was there just pushing all my views. I was, you know, you, as you're at those churches, you literally can't talk about almost anything, can you? can't talk about homeschooling because you don't want to offend someone. You can't talk about, you know, some, something else. You can't talk about, like, how, how you want women to dress and men to dress. You can't talk about any of it because you're going to offend someone, you know, because none of them are, are trying to live for God. None of them are seeing those truths in the Bible, or, and none of it's being preached. So that's been really hard for us, isn't it? Really hard. But now that we have the church here, now I'm starting to really understand this more and more and more, and, and praise God it's now, because before, like I said, it would have been hard, um, that... Yeah, that our gifts are for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Yeah, that's what they're for. That's the main thing. So, therefore, the church is more important than your job prospects, isn't it? Is it not? The church is more important than, than the area you want to live in, than that pretty area that's three hours from church and you can only make it have along the church is more important than, than your family connections Amen. the church is more important than your family connections and, and and it's clear isn't it and if we can't be a part of that church and be there to edify each other to use our gifts for the church then we're failing in that part of our life and, and it's so clear isn't it the more you read through this book it's so clear but it's a hard thing, and it's not that we don't, we want people here. I, I mean, I prefer someone coming here once every six months and not coming at all. But ideally, really, we need to question ourselves and say, how much, how much do we want to live for God? Because if we want to live for God, we want to be coming to every service. And when we had a third service, three to thrive, you want to be coming three services a week. You want to be soul winning when we're soul winning. I'm not saying you have to be, you have to balance life. You have to still have a family or, 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 or whatever else. But there are soul winning times as well other than a Sunday there are and there's going to be more and more stuff for the church isn't there and even turning up to whatever women's get together or a men's preaching night just to listen to it that's to edify the church that, that's going to help those people preach that's help those guys who are up here they've written they spend a long time written a 10 minute sermon you know and sometimes it can be harder to write a 10 minute sermon than our sermon because you can't ramble on like I am right now about this you know because <laughs> you've lost your you've lost your 10 minutes in but but to write that could be hard. They've written this, and then it's like they're looking out, and there's five guys, you know, the other guys that are preaching, and and you know, part of that being there is an encouragement, isn't it? Being there is exhorting people, and and yeah, it might be easier for those that live closer, or or might be easier for people with you know, a job can get in the way. I'm not saying you've got to all oh, right, that's it, just jack in your jobs, and you know, make sure you're here. But that should be something we should be aspiring towards, shouldn't it? Because a job doesn't matter uh, compared with the church, yeah. Um, Okay, and, and then if you're here, if you're at church, yeah, you're in church to benefit the church, aren't you? Okay, so it's not, okay, well, I've done all that, i come to church now, great. And then I treat church like it's there to serve me. Because we've all, we've all had to do that to a degree, because we haven't been able to get involved in any other church, have we? Pretty much. I mean, they might let you do a bit of, bit of this and that there if you're lucky. But most of the time, it's like you're there and it's kind of you're just treating church as a service. But, but no, you're there to benefit the church, to work for God. Yeah. So ideally, everyone's coming to church as wanting to work for God, do things for God, be a part of the church. 
not just to tick the box and hope you receive a blessing. Because I've heard that preach, oh, let's hope we all receive a blessing. Well, no, you're there at church to edify each other. You're there at church to do stuff for God, to help the church, to benefit the church. So we should be coming to church, not just thinking, oh, well, I'm here now, now, you know, what, what, what's the preacher going to give me today? No, what am I going to give other people today? How am I going to encourage others today? How am I going to be there for others? How am I going to show love to other people? How am I going to help other people? That's how we should be, shouldn't it? Every single one of us. Okay, verse 13, he says, Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. So whatever your skills, they should be for the benefit of the church, yeah? So, you, yeah, you, you, okay, you might, you might desire a you know, spiritual gift of prophesying. You might not get that. But whatever your gifts are, it should be for the benefit of the church. Verse 14, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. So I think this would be a public prayer in church. Notice he says, my understanding is unfruitful. That's his understanding. He understands it. He's not just like talking a load of gibberish. Um, he understands it, but it doesn't benefit anyone else. He says in verse 15, what is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also and that's the understanding it's talking about other people's understanding so when we're praying and singing it should be so that there is understanding yeah okay and that's the understanding of others verse 16 else when thou shalt bless with the spirit how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest for thou verily givest thanks well but the other is not edified okay so when we're praying and singing in the spirit as well as giving thanks we're also blessing with the spirit those around us and that's an interesting point isn't it that that praying is blessing other people singing is blessing other people i love this this phrase here he that occupieth the room of the unlearned which is just a nice polite way of saying someone that doesn't understand isn't it he that occupieth the room of the unlearned i try and use that a bit more often (laughs) And it's saying then, well, you know, so someone that doesn't understand, yeah, how will someone that doesn't understand then say amen? Remember like amen, amen, however you want to say it, it means truth, doesn't it? You're kind of verifying what's said. And it's something to remember when we're sitting and, you know, sometimes you get in a habit of just saying it, can't you? If you don't really agree with a prayer, don't say amen. If you don't agree with the preaching, don't say amen or amen or however you want to say it. (laughs) Brilliant. But because um, we don't just want to say it's got meaning, hasn't it? It's got a point, you know. Um, OK, but when we're praying and singing, we want to edify each other. Yeah. OK. Um, and obviously that was from verse 15 where he says, I will sing with the spirit. I'll sing with the understanding also. Yeah. Um, and obviously you don't have to turn it, but Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So, in singing, we are teaching and admonishing one another. And I say one thing you're teaching someone, just by singing loudly, is you're teaching them to just praise God without worrying about what people think. Because if you are just kind of in church, and, and, and forget the doctrine and the words, like obviously you're teaching and admonishing each other with that. That's why we'll only sing doctrinally sound hymns here and not things like, and I repented of my sins, and, you know, victory in Jesus, man, that winds me up. But, but... When you're singing as well, you're also showing people that you love God. When you're, when you're in a church, you're showing, yeah, I don't care if I squawk like a parrot. Yeah, I don't care if I'm completely out of tune. I don't care if I just sound like someone, you know, some growling motorbike or something else. You, you, we had a nasty one earlier, didn't we, brother? Wow, some of these kids. But anyway, forget all that. You should be singing to God, shouldn't you? And we should just be singing. Sing your heart out. And... Anyway, verse 18, he says, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than ye all. So, just, just to add here, this isn't one of those bitter guys that just can't speak any languages. One of those bon jower, bon jower, mate, you know, and, you know, or seow, bellow, you know, or something else. This is someone who, who, who can actually speak languages, but he's still saying, look, you know, languages are good, yeah? And obviously the gift of, of being able to just miraculously learn a language is great, but... But it's all about the church, yeah? Um, he says, so even knowing he speaks tongues more than you, he says, yet in the church I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So, so obviously to benefit the church, it's not just about pointless gift flexing, yeah? Okay, verse 20. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, 
but in understanding be men. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Okay, so it looks like, does it, the Corinthian church are showing off their language skills, probably other spiritual gift skills and things, um, but their understanding is pretty childlike, I think is what he's saying here. He's saying, be not children understanding. Okay, and we're not knocking your kids here, by the way. So kids, you know, your understanding might be childlike, but um, we do aim to be like you in malice, yeah? We, we do, we, you know, we, we look up to the way that you guys are in terms of malice. And malice is extreme enmity of heart or malevolence, um, a disposition to injure others without cause for mere personal grat gratification or from a spirit of revenge, unprovoked malignity or, or spite. And basically, children are just a little less likely to have that pure, nasty streak in them. Now, I know you get the toddlers do funny things and kids do do funny and they can be mean. But that pure, just enmity, nastiness towards someone else, which people do get, don't they? And it's not just reprobates that get that. People can be like that. They just get a beer in their bonnet with someone and they just start hating them. They just start hating on people. And, and we as Christians can do that as well, can't we? And we want to aim to be more like the children in that. Because a child can literally have just been, had a chunk bitten out of them by a kid the day, you know, an hour before. And then they're best friends with them straight after, aren't they? You know, and, and, and they don't. They don't have that enmity and that, that, that malice that a lot of the time we would have, wouldn't we? Because if I walked up to one of you like now and bit a chunk out of you, or, <laughs> or whacked you over the head with a hard toy, I don't know, I don't think it would, it would be forgiven so quickly, would it? Um, okay. Um, all right, so, so here he, he, he's, he, in verse 21, he said, In the Lord is written, With men of other tongues, other lips, so I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Now, this is from Isaiah 28. So, if you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 28, um, in fact, I've got it on my notes here. So, Isaiah 28. And although it's verses 11 and 12, we're going to start in verse 9. And kind of goes, goes with the verse before where it says, Isaiah 28, 9, Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. So, these are those that are men, not children, understanding, yeah? Okay? Um, verse 10, he says, For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So, to be, so to be basically... In, in understanding men, he's made it clear it's precept upon precept, line upon line, yeah? Now, precepts are commands, uh, but as Christians, with line upon line as well, that's a knowledge, isn't it, from the Bible? We have to build knowledge, don't we? You can't just jump into to things with, in, in, Christ, you know, in, in the faith and the truths of God. For example, I was thinking about a couple of these that we see a lot now in, in sort of circles of at least what seems to be saved Christians. It helps to understand that Christ went to hell, doesn't it, to make sense of all of the burnt offerings in the Old Testament. Yeah, it does. They go hand in hand. Or it helps to understand the, the, the reprobate doctrine, which I do think is quite a basic doctrine, really, isn't it? Because it's pretty much just clearly there in Romans 1. It doesn't, doesn't need some in-depth study. But, and I, it's hard to understand. I, I don't know exactly where that line is with rejection and, you know, lusts of your own heart and everything else. But it... It helps to understand at least the basics of the reprobate doctrine, that there is a, a reprobate doctrine, to understand that there are no guarantees of a changed life after salvation. Because that, that, that can be a stumbling block, can't it? I remember talking to a pastor who was basically confused. Well, well you know, who am I, you know, a homosexual? I, I'd assume he'd have to at least repent of that sin because they, they don't understand it, do they? Because you think, well, how on earth could you do something as wicked and vile as that? yet still be a saved Christian and not have to do any work. So it go, they go hand in hand, don't they? Because without the reprobate doctrine, it doesn't make any sense, does it? Um, okay, how about the, the basic doctrine of replacement theology, the one that we've gone over a bit recently, yeah? Because without that, or, yeah, without it, you know, you then have to start fitting in this weird third coming of Christ before the second one to explain the gathering of the elect in the second one, don't you? So again, they go hand in hand. You need, you need to understand it. You need to just understand what the Bible says. So basically, to be adults and not these sort of pre-trib, Zionist, hell-rejecting babes in Christ, we need to build knowledge from the Bible, don't we? 
okay and it all comes from the bible and it's all there it's all clearly there but you have to build 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 not just have some commentary of some man started by Derby or Schofield or you know whichever way around it was and start start you know just following all this nonsense if you just read the bible and had it just preached clearly from the bible then you should be able to build and build and build shouldn't you yeah um and then if we build our, our knowledge from the bible then in understanding we can be men which is adults yeah uh, verse 11 he says um and we're in isaiah here for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people now maybe that's because some languages can sound a bit like stammering and stuttering can't they I don't know, some languages do stand a bit like that. Or maybe like in 1 Corinthians 1.28, where he talks about in base things of the world and things which are despised have God chosen, yeah, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Yeah, maybe it's just with people that, that do stammer and stutter, I don't know. But verse 12, he says, To whom he said, This is a rest wherewith ye may cause a weary to rest, and this is a refreshing, yet they would not hear. And that's alluding to the gospel, isn't it? The rest, the refreshing. Um, and that's the point of this language, isn't it? Yet they would not hear. So the point of the languages was for people to get saved through them, wasn't it? Um, okay, verse 22. Wherefore tongues, uh, back to 1 Corinthians, uh, wherefore tongues are, are for sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So the tongues are a sign for those that believe not. Okay? And the prophesying here is specifically preaching the church now, not talking of preaching the gospel. Something we should all do, yeah? We should all be preaching the gospel. Whether or not you think you've got the gift of preaching or anything else, we should all be preaching the gospel. And if you practice it enough, for some people it doesn't come as naturally, does it? But practice it, practice it. Your goal should be to be able to preach the gospel. You might be a silent partner for five years. You know, and silent partners, are, you know, they're, they're, we, we couldn't do it without silent partners. Yeah, you could go out on your own, but I tell you what, it's a lot different when you've got someone with you, isn't it? And that's how we're told to go two by two. And, and nothing wrong with that, but your goal should be eventually, at some point, to be able to preach the gospel. And for some, it might be after one week. For some, it might be after one year. Regardless, that should be our goal, shouldn't it? Verse 23 says, If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? So obviously this isn't talking about preaching the gospel to unbelievers in their own languages like in Acts 2. Remember Acts 2.11 said, we do hear them speak in our, la in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Okay, that's what they're, they're talking there. But instead it's the church together speaking just all these different languages amongst each other. And someone comes in and everyone's just speaking all these different languages and in a world where Greek was the main language. Yeah, and everyone's just speaking all these different languages even though they can probably most of them speak Greek. It would, they'd just be, what on earth is going on in here? Um, so then the less mature Christians and the unbelievers will basically think that they're mad. And that would be the same here, wouldn't it? If everyone here was just speaking their own different languages, we've got, you know, we've got a bit of a multicultural mix here. And if everyone was just speaking their own different languages, people would just come in and think, what on earth is going on there? You, know, you don't know what's going on. Um, okay, verse 24, he says, But if all prophesy... And there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down in his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Okay, now obviously if they're prophesying this, they're preaching the word of God accurately and boldly. Okay? If they're prophesying. The new believer then, and the, un and the unknowledgeable Christian are going to get convicted, aren't they? Judged by the, by the word. Well, well, how are they going to get convicted and judged by the word? Well, Hebrews 4.12, go there if you like. Again, it's a famous verse, but such a powerful verse. Hebrews 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay, so verse 25 there said, And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. That should be the result, shouldn't it? Yeah. That should be the result when we hear the word of God and it cuts to our heart, and, and that word of God is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart, we should be then humbling ourselves before God. Not grumbling and moaning and complaining about whoever's preaching or whatever else that sadly does happen. Because um, the word of God discerns our thoughts and intents, doesn't it? Doesn't it just? When you hear the word, it can be hard, can't it? Hearing the word of God preached, it can be hard reading the word of God as well. 
because it does. It discerns our thoughts and intents. And that's why so often preaching feels personal, doesn't it? So often preaching feels like it's personal at you. And, and every, pre- every preacher around the world will say that they'll often have people going, was that at me? Or, you know, kind of then maybe, you know, they clear, or well, well, a lot of the time it's come up with them, going, are oh, you preaching at me again or whatever else? And it's not, it's just the word of God. The word of God just cuts, doesn't it? And, and, and it does feel personal. The result should be a humbling before God. Okay, the result should be that we humble ourselves before God. Okay, that's what we should do. Verse 26 says, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, let all things be done unto edifying. So it sounds like they're just coming together to show off their abilities, doesn't it, here? That's what that looks like in that verse. And, and is that really to edify the church? Um, or is it to lift themselves up? And something, obviously, we should keep in mind, shouldn't we? Okay, it's easy to read these things, spiritual gifts, start then thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got some spiritual gifts, yeah. And then you kind of feel like you need to show people your spiritual gifts. But that's not what we should be doing, should we, okay? Uh, verse 27 says, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. So I believe that Paul's saying that if anyone speaks in an unknown language, it's only to two or three at a time with someone translating it, yeah? Okay, so it's not just taking over the whole church, you know, you're calling out, but no one understands what you're talking about. A couple, two or three people, someone's translating it. Um, so basically, if we had someone that came in here that spoke another language, instead of him just speaking this language, being, and then it kind of taking over the church service or taking over the fellowship time, really it should just be to a couple of people at a time, not that everyone's waiting, wondering what this guy's saying while he's trying to almost hold court and talk out to everyone and be the centre of attention there. It's not to be a big show, because the whole point is to be a benefit for others. We should be in church to benefit each other. Um, and if it's a language that no one knows, it's not going to profit the church, is it? Verse 28 says, But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So, again, and even if there was someone here that literally didn't speak a word of anything else, instead of the whole thing revolving around him and trying to get him to understand, he should just be here speaking to God, still listening, still singing, listening, enjoying the music, the Holy Spirit, you know, everyone here, you know, the, the preaching, try and get some of the word of God and learn, learn our language rather than everyone, right, we're going to have to, everyone translate to this guy and then what he wants to say back, that wouldn't edify the church, would it? Verse 28 says, but if there be, uh, sorry, verse 29 says, let the prophet speak two or through three and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. So this sounds a bit like a men's preaching night, doesn't it? Yep. Okay, one by one there. It sounds like a men's preaching night. And um, I mean, here, you, you, you'd imagine maybe there are quite a lot of people that are preaching here. Maybe he's just talking about those times they come together and they take it in turns to preach. Um, and obviously he's saying here that we should be judging preaching the word of God. He's saying here um, in verse... 29 let the prophet speak to or three and let the other judge so we should be judging by the word of god we shouldn't just be taking what's said oh well that's it we should be judging it by the word of god if there's something you're unsure about then by all means make a note if there's a scripture reference or something and and, and go home and have a look and look in the word of god and then and then come to the preacher and say i'm not sure about that there's nothing wrong with that yeah as long as it's done in a in a humble and polite way as well um verse uh sorry verse 31 it says for you you may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. So the preaching should teach us and should comfort us, shouldn't it? That's the whole point in the preaching, that it teaches us and comforts us. So in verse 32, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So I think that same prophets should preach according to the word of God. That's how I see that. Um, they should be preaching according to the word of God. And then he says, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. So obviously, primary application here is that there shouldn't be confusion with different people preaching at the same time, others talking unknown languages, you know, and all this kind of weird stuff just going on in the church. No one really knows what's going on, who's saying what. Um, but this could apply to many areas, can't it? So, so God is not the author of confusion. It's not saying only when it comes to languages but of peace as in all churches of the saints. So, confusion about salvation. About confusion about salvation. God is not the author of confusion. It's not confusing, is it? And if you're going into a church and no one seems to know how, how to get saved, that, there's a big problem there, isn't there? 
People, right. there's a load of unsaved people sitting in a church and all got a different idea of salvation. There's a problem. Um, confusion about, you know, what the Word of God is. Confusion about which Bible is the Word of God. You go to these churches and everyone's got their own flavour of the month Bible. Okay, God is not the author of confusion. Confusion about what God says. Well, thus saith the Lord is in my Bible. And, and if you don't know that, if you're not saying that, you're, well, I don't know if he really meant that because the RSV or whatever, you know, the NIV or, or NASV or whatever they, you know, it is, all these silly Vs, they, they, they you know, if that says something and this says that, well, I'm not sure I'm going to go with that. Again, he's not the author of confusion, is he? He's not making you wonder and have to check 50 different translations and make your own mind up. God is not the author of confusion, and especially not in a church. But it's not just in the church, is it? So God is not the author of confusion, um, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. So a lot of people get confused about the will of God, don't they? So a lot of people, oh, well, I just don't know what, what God's will is for my life. I don't know what the will of God is. Well... Number one, his will is that everyone will get saved, okay? That's pretty clear, isn't it? Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that, should, but that all should come to repentance, okay? That's clear. And you don't have to turn there, John 6, 40 says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, after that, that's a clear will of God, isn't it? After that, because people, oh, I don't know, it's a bit confusing. What, what is God's will? Well, Ecclesiastes 12.13 just sums it up, doesn't it? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, it doesn't have to be confusing, but what happens is people don't really want to fear God and, and keep his commandments. So they, they, they kind of avoid that bit, and then they say, oh, I just don't know, God's made it so confusing, I don't know if I should do this or do that. No, follow God. Yeah, I know, it can be hard sometimes. You know, you need to read your Bible to understand what his commandments are. You need to, you need to first find out what his commandments are, how to fear him, how to keep his commandments. That's your whole duty. But once you do that, then I think it's much easier to find God's will, and you do have peace, don't you? God's will just, that's, God, that's God's obvious will. Get God's obvious will straight first and then the things that aren't so clear should become clear. Okay, God's not the author of confusion. Now with that in mind, verse 34 then says, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them, unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Many men's here's memory verses. And um, we, we, did, we did look at this last week, didn't we? We looked at this brief last week. So it's nice that we could just hit it second week running, yeah? Really hammer this point home. Okay, so... And if you weren't here last week, um, please go back and listen to this, ladies. <laughs> I mean, everyone. And Okay, so 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Okay, verse 11. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Okay, so he's obviously, he obviously expands, doesn't he, that the, re, the, uh, the part of the reasoning is that Adam was formed first. So number one, it's not just the deceiving. Adam was formed first, wasn't he? Okay. The, Eve was formed to be and help meet for, for Adam, wasn't she? So, and, and in the same way, that's what women were formed for. Now, that's not, you know, that that's not, like we said, saying that women are lesser people or anything else. That's just the order. That's how it's meant to be. Um, and that Eve was deceived, though. So Eve was deceived. Um, and he does make that point, doesn't he? And like, like I said last week, it's, you know, women are more easily deceived as a general rule, okay, with things such as spiritual things and lies and everything else. Okay, but regardless of the reasoning, so regardless of whether we can get in tune with God's reasoning here, whether or not he even wants us to understand it, God makes it clear. Verse 34 in 1 Corinthians there, that they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law. Okay? 
So how does it say it's the law? Well, in fact, it was basically one of the first ever commands. Genesis 3.16 says, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. He shall rule over thee. Okay? So it's pretty clear, isn't it, that? It is pretty clear. Now, let's, while we're on this subject, go to Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 22, Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Okay, it's clear, isn't it? It's clear as day in the Bible. And... With that in mind, I'm sure that most women here don't have a problem with their husbands obeying some ungodly boss at work. Do they? Do, 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 men, get, do men come home, especially if you're really relying on that money, you're relying on that paycheck, and when they come home and start moaning about the boss, if, if, if your husband started going, you know, I'm just, how dare he talk to me like that? They go, yeah, you shouldn't have to put up with him. You go and tell him, you know, I'm not putting up. They probably wouldn't, would they? Well, he'd be like, look, he's your boss, you know, that's, that's a hierarchy at work, that's what happens. Well, in the same way, that's a hierarchy in the house. Now, is that boss any better person than you? No. Is that boss more important? Does God look down and go, oh, I prefer that boss because he's your boss at work? No. In exactly the same way in the house, that's just the way it goes. Because without a hierarchy, without a leadership, without a final authority, like we just spoke about with the word of God, then it just, it's, all, it's always going to be a problem. There's always a problem in every walk of life without a final say, a final authority, yeah? And ultimately, the final authority is the word of God, but in the home, when it comes to the family, it's a man. Um, now, when he says this, he says, so why is then a submissive woman told to be in silence then? So what's that about? Why to be in silence? Well, firstly, obviously not preaching, okay? Obviously, she can't be preaching if she's in silence in the church. And obviously, if she was deceived, like we saw, then a, a woman preaching from the pulpit, there's likely going to be problems, aren't there? Okay? No offence, just that, that's the way it is. And like I said the other week, in exactly the same week, you leave most men here a week on their own with the kids all day, every day, and it's going to be a problem, isn't it? And you'll be lucky to find the house still in one piece, the children probably still in one piece, and, and we're just not very good at that. And we can admit to that. And, and hopefully, I hope all women here can admit to the fact that, yep, leading a church or leading, leading the family or making those big decisions and everything else is not their forte either, okay? That's just the way it is. Now, just because the world says that running a family isn't some sort of, isn't a good job and it's not a respectful job, being a stay-at-home mum, well, the Bible and I beg to differ on that because, for me, that's possibly one of the most important jobs in the world. I mean, what a massive job. What a massive job. And for those that, okay, well, we don't have a family, so... Well, even just, just supporting a man who's then to be a spiritual head uh, is a massive job, isn't it? And there are many, many other parties. That's not just the only thing a woman does. To serve in a church is massive as well. But, but it is a massive, massive job. And teaching children is hard. And being at home with a child, you know, day in, day out is hard, isn't it? And, and being that, that help and that guidance for kids is, is, a, is a hard job. Um, okay, so if I'm sitting in the church with my wife, yeah, and she's just calling things out in the preaching. She's amening, you know, while the preaching's going on. Is that showing submission to me? It's not really, is it? She's not showing submission to me there. She's trying to get her voice heard. She's trying to, but she's meant to be submissive to me. Okay, it's for me, isn't it, to agree or not agree with the preaching. I'm the spiritual head of the house. I was, you know, again, Eve was the one that was deceived. It should be me saying, yeah, truth, amen, or not, yeah? Or, for example, if there is a part where people can get involved, some churches are a bit more, you know, interactive and stuff, it's for, surely it's for the spiritual head to do that. Um, that's a hierarchy. What if I don't agree? What if I don't agree with the preacher? Well, what if, amen, yeah, preach it, you know, and everything else? And there's, there's then a problem there, isn't there? Um, now, why asking their husbands at home is because wives are meant to submit to their own husbands, aren't they? So not to then go and ask someone else's husband at the church or, you know, start... Get, it's for her to go home and submit to her husband as a spiritual head. Okay, and then that helps cement that position, doesn't it? 
Okay, and it, and it cements that, that she submits and she asks him at home. But then how tragic if I don't fulfil my responsibility as a leader? How tragic is that? If my wife asks me at home and I can't answer, I didn't even bother listening. I was too busy, you know, thinking about what I'm doing tomorrow, you know, or, or whatever else. How tragic that is. How tragic if I'm a bad leader at home. How tragic if my wife's being told she's got to submit to me as a leader, yet I'm just... And, you know, I'm just some joke at home who just, you know, lying around doing nothing all day. You know, I'm just like, yeah, get on with you. She, she wants to see a lead. She, you've got to lead to be a leader, don't you? Yeah. For them to follow you. Okay? And, and what if I'm just flying off the handle every minute? Or, or whatever the rest. I'm doing all, so many things that are out of God's will. Then that's a lot harder for her then, isn't it? So we should be living, living for God. We should be as men. It, then we have a big responsibility. To be, that's a massive responsibility. Be a spiritual leader, the spiritual head at home. Um, verse 36 says, What? Came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you only? Okay, so I think Paul's saying here, don't change God's commandments. So the word of God came unto you. We're not then to change it to suit us in society, to then, well, the word of God comes out for We decide what God says, like all these churches around the country and around the world do. Oh, yeah, no, it's up to me what God does. It's up to me. Yeah, well, yeah, because this version says that, this version says that. Oh, well, no, actually, no, because at the time that meant something different. So when he said actually about women, you know, that shouldn't be speaking to church, oh, that was to do with, you know, the Jewish custom at the time. Thank God that I understand that more now, you know, and, and lucky that we can tell you what the Word of God meant to say. And, and no, the Word of God came to us, didn't it? The Word of God came to us. That's how I see that. Um, Verse, 30 says, uh, verse 37 says, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. That's a good point, isn't it? If you think that you know it all, and there are people there that probably thought they know it all, they need to accept that these are commandments of God, don't they? And there are many Christians that think they're ultra-spiritual, don't they? And we come across them, we come across a lot of fake Christians who aren't even saved that think they're ultra-spiritual. They think that they've just got it all down and everything else. But then they can't even attempt to follow the most basic commandments, can they? So you get these people that think that they're this, this spiritual power. You knock on a door and they're, oh, yeah, yeah, well, you know, I'm so spiritual. And they're standing there like some woman in a pair of hot pants or something. You're just like, what? You know, while trying to tell me what, what a spiritual mecca you are. It's, like, it's just ridiculous. Um, but, but, yeah, for us... For us, you know, we should, if we, if we think ourselves to be spiritual or a prophet, we need to acknowledge the commandments, don't we? And that's the first part. And same when you're preaching, you need to acknowledge what the Word of God's saying. Um, it says, but if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. I, I think it's just accepting, if you don't have the knowledge, accept you don't have the knowledge. Don't try and be something you're not. Yeah, don't try and tell everyone what you think the, the Bible says when you've got no idea. Don't try and tell everyone, you know, some truth that you just don't even understand. Verse 39 says, Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. So we, back to the main subject here. It's a good thing to preach, isn't it? It's a good thing to preach because if you're preaching to edify the church, to uplift the church, to exhort the church, to comfort the church. But he's not saying there, he's not saying you can't speak with tongues or languages. Okay, so he didn't end it by going okay so never that's it he, it's just got to be for the right reasons isn't it so it's nothing wrong with it don't forbid people to speak in different languages if people have that gift and skill that's good but it's got to be for the right reasons and then verse 40 let all things be done decently and in order and that is a nice motto for a church isn't it decently and in order and something hopefully everyone here is learning as time goes by because we are all learning, we all haven't been really a proper part of a church to that point where we're really involved, you know, and, and we're learning how things decently and in order are. And all, everyone here is, and, and there, there is an order to doing things, there's an, there's, it should be done decently, it should be done how the church wants it done, and, and with us that's how Pastor Thompson wants it done, and we should all be learning to do that. And some things we're going to step out of line now and again, and you know, and I'm going to pull you up on that if I see that, and he's going to pull me up if I don't see that, or it's something that I do. And we should all just be doing our best to do things decently and in order as the church wants it done, yeah? And, and really how the Word of God wants it done, really. Um, with that, let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for, um, for all the many truths that we're getting out of the book of Corinthians. Um, and again, just, just that truth that everything we should be doing, everything that we should be desiring to do should, should be for the edifying, for the exhorting, for the comfort of the church. For, for, we should be trying our best to, to just to make this church work, to, to make everyone here, to, to, to uplift them, to improve them, to help them, to, to support them. Um, help us to just have that, that right frame of mind towards each other. Um, help us to, to seek to do things as you want them done here, decently and in order. Um, help us to just, just be a blessing to everyone here. Help us to pray for each other in the week. Um, help us to, to also, as a church now, do, do, do what the church is meant to do and go out and get people saved from this church. Um, and and to, to just, just fulfill your will in, in every area of our life as well. In Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen.